0: Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get to today's show with my buddy Bill Barnwell, I wanted to remind you to tune in to Caught Offside and our FC podcast as they preview the Euros as well as the United States trying to qualify for the World Cup. That's Caught Offside and our FC podcast. Listen wherever you get your pods. And if you're looking to watch world-class soccer, ESPN Plus is where to find it. The best teams, the biggest stars and over 20 international leagues and tournaments, La Liga, Bundesliga, MLS, FA Cup, Copa del Rey, and more. Sign up now at (laughs) ESPNPlus.com. Welcome back to the Munich Himes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks tighten up is what happens when you lunge and you pull on your collar. That's Lenny. I'm Munich Himes. Um, I am joined today by my good friend, so such a good friend actually, that he joined me uh, uh, over the weekend to do this because I am going on vacation and also because some actual big crazy NFL news happened this weekend. Bill Barnwell, our long national nightmare is over. Actually, I can't really keep using long national. I feel like the DAC thing was actually a national nightmare. Mm-hmm. The Julio thing only lasted like really two weeks. Uh,
1: this is only a nightmare in the city of Atlanta.
0: Well, at least they the Hawks won, so they've got that going on, going for them. It was um they almost blew it at the end versus the Sixers, and I honestly was about to text Charles McDonald just for like a mental health check, but um yeah. So the, the falcon side of this, I've already talked about a lot. Just kind of you know some of my puzzle, like just I guess being a little bit confused by some of the decisions made with respect to the timeline in terms of you know restructuring Matt drafting Kyle Pitts. Um, Mm -hmm. this is about kind of what has been expected for a while in terms of the return. I think if the Falcons had gotten a first round pick back, Falcons fans would feel a lot more, well, a lot better about it, but they didn't, they got, um, a 2022 second round draft pick and a 2023 fourth rounder. They're sending a 2023 sixth rounder to the Tennessee Titans. So Bill, I want to talk to you more about the Tennessee side of it. Um, because you know th- this is a massive division, potentially playoff-changing trade. Do you like it for Tennessee?
1: <laughs> I think I'm okay with it. Okay, like I think I, I I think it's fine. Like I I understand why they did it. I think it's an okay decision, but it's not the sort of slam dunk. I think some people are making it out to be right now. Like mm. it's not. It's not the DeAndre Hopkins trade where it was like, oh, not only do we get a superstar right. receiver, we also get rid of you know this awful contract. We trade a second-round pick. That was like an obvious over-the-top victory for Arizona, even if it didn't fix their team necessarily. For yeah. Tennessee. So here's – let me try and make a couple arguments. And you tell me whether they changed the way you feel about it. I don't know. I mean, are you – where do you stand on this deal, actually, before I, I get into it?
0: I think that it – Makes a lot of sense for Tennessee, given their timeline, given that they do want to win now, given that they're in a bad division, given that they had a massive gaping hole at wide receiver. That said, I don't think it changes the landscape of the AFC. I
1: I'm I agree. I mean, I, I think that's basically <laughs> where I came in, but I don't know. I, I think they should have made a move, but I don't know that a move for a expensive veteran wide receiver as good as Julio Jones is. And he's incredible. I have some questions about the way they're building their team here, because I always think about the people who leave the Patriots, right? Like about how guys like Bill O'Brien and, and John Robinson here, who is the GM of the Tennessee Titans, who's done a, a good job overall, about how they build their roster and think about what this offense is now in terms of how much they're spending at the very top. They have Ryan Tannehill for next year on a 34 million dollar cap hit. Derek Henry at 15 million. Taylor Lawan, their left tackle, 14.7 million. Roger Saffold Their uh, starting guard at 12.9 million. Now, Julio Jones coming in at 11.5 million right now. But we know something about Julio Jones. He is someone who is pretty frequently, with two or three years left in his deal, agitating for a new contract. And if he plays well this year, I would expect him to get some sort of new deal from Tennessee and a pretty significant raise, probably his last major contract in the NFL. And then on top of that, you have AJ Brown, who's going to make 1.8 million on paper for next year, but is going to come due for an extension. And you got to figure that's going to come in around 20, $21 million per year. I mean, that's 90 million before you even get into any new deals for Jones or Brown. Maybe you cut Saffold. That's not out of the question, but like, they're going to spend probably something around $100 million of their cash. it's about half of the cap on six, five, maybe offensive guys. Like That's not how teams typically win in the NFL. And it's not typically how like a team like the Patriots have won in the NFL. This is not really how Bill Belichick has built his teams. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. But I think that sort of is the first thing that stood out to me is just mm, raises some questions about what the plan really is here.
0: So I screwed this up because we should have done the football side of it first and and had like been very fun and <laughs> talked about like just what an incredible assortment of talent this is on the offensive side of the football and then done yes. the buzzkill cap cat stuff yes. after. Um, but I actually think they're, they're sort of intertwined bill because you mentioned Derek Henry, that's a contract that the Titans can move on from. Um, part of the reason why, yeah, I didn't object too much to it when they did sign it. And I also think there's a that sort of ties to the football side because you look at this Titans offense, which is one of the run heaviest offenses, if not, I think maybe just Mm -hmm. behind Baltimore in football too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you look at that and you you say, well, why would you trade for an elite wide receiver if you're going to run the football? And you know, I think that's an assumption. Like we are making the the notion not only that Derrick Henry will be on this football team for several more years, I guess would be two more after this season and. Mm the The idea that this is still going to be a very run centric offense, that's based on the offense that the Titans were, and Mm -hmm. we know that they've got a new offensive coordinator and Todd Downing because Arthur Smith left, which I you know I've said I view as it's not a good thing for Tennessee because of how good um, Arthur Smith was, but Mm -hmm. I think the while I in many ways it's easy to envision Julio Jones slotting into this like play action heavy offense. Um, you know, and and taking advantage of those wide gaping holes in the middle of the field and and the deep ball that uh, Ryan Tannehill has been very efficient at throwing. Um, I also think that there's a reason to believe that if you have A.J. Brown, you have Julio Jones, your offense is going to evolve a little bit. Yeah, that's
1: absolutely fair. And they did lose Johnny Smith this year as well. So it's not as if you figure they're going to come out and run more 12 personnel yeah. than they did last year. They're going to evolve a bit on offense. And that's totally fair. I, I think they have to, because I think if you don't, you're basically the Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Vikings, mm. where you have a team that you know wants to run the ball. Clearly, they value running the ball in Tennessee, and they're paying a running back and a couple of offensive linemen big money because they want to be a run-first football team, where they have been a run-first football team in the past. Now they're gonna have Tannehill making significant money. I think he's gonna be top five for cap hits for quarterback this year and probably somewhere in the six to seven range next year. And then now gonna be two extremely well compensated wide receivers in Julio Jones Hmm. and AJ Brown. And that ended up as a real sort of like just you know, cluster where you had a a a coach who was upset you weren't running the ball enough and a team that was built to throw the ball when it came to the finances of that roster. So I think you have to change and you know, will that be for the better? I think it's hard to say, but I think it's really interesting the idea that Julio Jones might be maybe a replacement over the next couple of years for Derrick Henry. Yeah. um, Then maybe more so for someone like Corey Davis.
0: That's a good way to think of it, I think. Um, You know, our our colleague, Teron Davenport, who covers the Titans, uh, tweeted out a statistic from Seth and Info about how the Titans faced, I think, more eight-man boxes than anyone, Mm -hmm. any team in the NFL. Uh, And, you know, it'll be interesting, again, to see how that changes <laughs> with the presence yeah. of Julio Jones. Another stat that stats and info, I thought this really blew my mind. Um, so they ranked the top wide receivers versus man to man defense on a yards per route run basis, meaning not mm-hmm. the, the receivers who faced the most man to man defense who were singled up, the ones who exploited it the most. AJ Brown was number one in yards per route run, and Julio mm-hmm. Jones was four. So uh, defenses are going to have some very difficult choices when facing this team. And um, yeah, it is just qua- like, I, you know, obviously this is like one of the most intimidating groups of skill players now in the history of the NFL. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Just, I, I just can't, I'm just very curious to see um, like we've been discussing kind of like the, the next evolution of this offense uh, because it, it, again, like where would you let, let me ask you this? Like, where would you rank this group of skill players? I mean, obviously, tight end is not with John gone, Um, Now it's Anthony Forkser, is not as mm. impressive. But where would you rank this group of skill players in the NFL?
1: Mm, preview of the <laughs> Arsenal column coming up later this Ooh. year at ESPN.com. I mean, they got to be in the top five, right? Like, the, this kind of feels like outside of maybe the Chiefs and the Ravens, like, this is the team everyone's going to want to play on in Madden, right? Like, where you have <laughs> Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown, and, like, anytime you have the ball in one of their hands, like, there's a serious threat the ball's going to the house for a touchdown. Like, it, it's just, um, you know, when these three guys are all on the field, it's going to be really scary. And I think that's maybe, like, the one concern I have about adding Julio Jones is, not just the injuries because obviously we know he missed half the season last year with a like was it a calf injury or a hamstring injury if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. like that's not that serious it's not like it's like a broken foot or something like it was earlier in his career but one of the things about Julio that nobody really talks about and it's not doesn't mean that he's a fraud. Doesn't mean that he sucks. Like <laughs> oh, it's just like, like it's one of the things you have to account for with Julio versus other superstar receivers is that he's on the field, even when he's healthy or relatively healthy, on the field less than just about anybody else. Like, you know, for your top tier wide receivers, your DeAndre Hopkins, your Devontae Adams, they're usually playing about 85, 90, even 95% of the snaps in a typical game. Like DeAndre Hopkins over the last three years has played 90% of the snaps or more. Mm. 43 times. Devontae Adams, 26 times. Someone like Keenan Allen, who has an injury history, 21 times, 90% or more of the snaps over the last three years. Julio's done that three times. Hmm. Like, Julio is a guy who he's incredible on the field. Like, there's nothing I need to do to explain how good Julio Jones is when he is on the field. But I think part of keeping him healthy and part of maintaining him and having him be so super efficient is that he has to take plays off. He has to have snaps on the sidelines where, you know, that, that does add up. Where even if he plays a full 16 game season on paper, you're losing out on a game or two of snaps over the course of the season because he's being rested more than other guys who are in that tier. Now, obviously doesn't take away from what he does when he's on the field, but he's not on the field quite as much as those other guys.
0: Yeah. It's load management, right? And it is something that is very, like, I think the average NFL fan might not notice that. Um, the average Julio dynasty owner like myself definitely knows that <laughs> when we see him running off the field and it's fine. I'm not complaining. The touchdown thing is way worse, which by the way, it is funny that now Arthur Smith's coming to Atlanta and they're like switching places. And I was excited mm-hmm. Julio to take advantage of the whatever touchdown, the red zone offense. But we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And it is a thing where I think if they still had Jonu Smith, I might say, well, the Titans mm-hmm. are probably going to, you know, continue to use as much uh, 12 personnel as they have in the past but i think the notion is okay well now you've got julio jones josh reynolds from the rams slides down to a wide receiver three which makes sense Mm -hmm. um but you're right like julio is not going to play as many snaps as your typical wide receiver one a which is what how i would describe him in this offense so um it's still incredibly explosive but there's Mm -hmm. yeah it, it is not the hopkins trade
1: yeah, and then I think when you look at Derrick Henry, he's playing typically 60 65% of the snaps from week to week. So maybe it's a thing where you say, okay, we have two of these three absolute game-breaking superstars mm. on the field at any given time. And maybe before this trade, there were snaps where you're only going to have one guy. You're only going to have A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry, but not always both on the field on first down. And I think that, um, you know, that's a real advantage because – You look at this roster before this trade, like they were so dependent on Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown, and Derek Henry staying healthy. Like If one of those guys got hurt, they were going to have the worst depth chart at that position in the league. And now that changes. Now you have Julio Jones to take some of the pressure off, get those guys more rest, and you'll have them all on the field, obviously, for the important downs. And that's going to be a really scary trio.
0: Let's back out a little bit then and talk about the Titans because before this trade, I had really pinned them as a regression candidate um, in a weak division. And I think that part of the reason why I th- I liked this trade, I said this at the beginning, is because I do think the division is very winnable. I still view them as outside of that top tier of AFC teams below Kansas City, Buffalo, and I would say Cleveland, Baltimore are probably in that group as well. Um, but I do I do think this makes them the favorites to win the AFC South. Obviously, their question marks up and down this defense, which has, which has a ton of turnover, uh, was one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. Did go out and sign Bud Dupree, um, Janoris Jenkins drafted Caleb Farley and Elijah Molden, go dogs, um, and brought back all their linebackers. Do you agree with me that they should be the favorites to win the AFC South? Like looking at it through the lens of just kind of how competitive this team is with the assumption that they are all in, which is why they made this Mm -hmm. trade. Do you think that they are right to be all in?
1: You know what this team is? Like two, almost to a T, they're the AFC Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Like super invested at receiver and running back, like deep, like, like, you know, super high end offensive line. A lot of guys on defense where you're like, oh, that's a name. <laughs> like, you know, plug this guy in. Maybe he'll be good. Um, but, like, some order. question marks on defense. Danico Autry. I mean, like, you know, Bud Dupree is there. Um, I can't think. uh Ruckus Lawrence. You know, like, some a first-round pick at cornerback in Caleb Farley. Uh, a veteran cornerback on the other side. Like, I just think they're a team where, like, they have seven or eight just bona fide studs. And we saw what happened last year at the Cowboys when three of those guys got hurt in September. They were a mess of a football team. And I think for Tennessee, you know, I think their ceiling is super high because if all eight of those guys are healthy, that's a scary football team. But if they lose one of those guys here, they're probably going to be okay. They're probably going to win the division. If they lose three of those guys, we have the NFC East from last year.
0: The AFC South might also be comparable to the NFC East from last year. It is to me. I don't but people don't like, I mean, Colts fans right now are shaking their fists in their car. Carson uh, Wentz um,
1: is right there. He was in the listen, NFC East last year.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, yeah, exactly, it really makes sense. Um, I think the, the one difference is like, again, the Titans defense was so bad last year. They just need mm-hmm. to be like a below, like if this offense is as explosive as it should be, mm-hmm. as it could be, the defense doesn't need to be I would just say like below average is probably good enough to win the division, in my mind.
1: That's what I was that's what I was telling myself about the Cowboys last year too, though.
0: <laughs> and well it, it if was, the Cowboys have kept attacking, we might actually you might be right.
1: <laughs> right. So uh, I mean, I, I really it's like to me, if those eight stars, if those eight guys who are to me top five, top six at their position, all stay healthy, mm. I think they can compete with an average health season from the Chiefs or an average health season yeah. from the other teams at the top of this division but again that's risky.
0: Let's let, let's wrap up the Julio discussion by just talking about some of the other teams Involved By which I mean the other teams that didn't make the trade, um, mm-hmm. the entire NFC West, apparently. Yes. Uh, I think the entire NFC West, every team is all just relieved that no one else in the NFC West signed Julio. I think Kyle Shanahan actually said that at a NASCAR uh, race today. He also uh, said that I think it was his first NASCAR race, which I was like confused. I was like, Cuff Jenny has a NASCAR fan? And then <laughs> he, he had a real videos. Anyway, so I think all the, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Niners are all kind of pulling down their guns a la Michael Scott and uh, Ed Helms and Rainwells in the office. Um, but the Packers were a team that uh, I have to think there there's some. I guess, disappointment amongst the fan base, mainly because probably they were hoping mm-hmm. it would be like, this is what we could have done to, to bring Aaron back. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Patriots were the other team, I feel like that was really sort of being positioned as a likely trade partner. What? How do you feel about those teams today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're like, like the Ravens, at least there was some discussion about them. I don't think that ever really made too much sense. Um, and the Chiefs, like if the Chiefs were gonna do something and just blow away the league and just try to fit Julio Jones on their cap for like a year. The cap isn't uh, real. That... <laughs> yeah, the cap isn't real, and yet the Falcons just traded <laughs> away like a Hall of Fame player <sighs> for a second round pick next year just because, like, just eh, just Why we not? wanted to get rid of him. Um, yeah, I mean, like I I would have liked the Packers just for like the sheer entertainment value like I, I like you know the they have the announcement like I, I can picture like the press conference of Julio Jones becoming a Packer and then like Aaron Rodgers like sneaks onto the podium and like hugs Brian Goodkunst and everything is fixed and the Packers are suddenly like the scariest team in football again um but that didn't happen that's fine I'll deal with it but um I mean Tennessee the only thing that didn't make sense was just because Julio is probably going to get more expensive after this year you would have figured that I at I would have figured he was going to go to a team that had a quarterback mm. on a rookie contract. I think that always made the most sense, and which is why I lean towards a team like Jacksonville as a possible fit. But I do think that you know Tennessee at this point, like you said, I think they're all in over really <laughs> the next year or two to win with this core.
0: You kept saying Jacksonville, which I think makes total sense, and I actually, I, I, we were on NFL Live, and I was like, you know, Bill Barnwell wrote this great column and he talked about jacksonville and it makes a lot of sense and the looks on everyone's faces of utter disinterest when i brought it. <laughs> they're like jacksonville no we want to talk about the patriot oh god i'm confirming everyone's um suspicions about <laughs> our biases um yeah it, i i agree I, I i think it's also noteworthy that the falcon's let me give you guys a small win that you didn't have to, that the team didn't have to eat any of Julio's salary. Because I think if it had been one of those other teams, I'm sure they were all asking for that, you know? And the fact that the Titans took his entire contract is a, a, is a small (laughs) consolation for Falcons fans to lose the greatest player in franchise history.
1: Okay. So like, would there have been a better time to announce this trade for Mm. the Falcons? Like they didn't bury it Friday at like 9 p.m. Like if they could have done it during the um like the announcement of the Senate race, that would have been the best time to try to lead for the Falcons.
0: I think getting the Hawks W really was huge. You know, maybe they put in some calls, got got some fouls on extra fouls on Joel and B. This goes this goes all the way up. All right. That's enough Julio talk for today. I promised a mailbag. I asked for questions, and you guys sent in some great ones, um, both via Twitter and also in the reviews on the iTunes page for this podcast. And I really like them all. We're going to start with one about a player that um, Nate Tyson and I talked discussed a bit, but I want to discuss with you in more detail. Bill, the question is from that Oakland kid who asks, "Will Derek Carr play well enough to get him another extension?" If so, what does that look like? Four years, $100 million. I I find Derek Carr really interesting because it's like, he plays for a team that seems to be constantly trying to get rid of him or constantly debating whether or not he's good, Mm -hmm. even though he has clearly been one of the better parts of this football team over the last few years. So he signed his contract in 2017. This kind of got me thinking about it. And it was a very team-friendly deal, by the way. They could have gotten out of it. That's part of the reason why... Derek Carr is constantly rumored to be on the move is because the deal is reasonable and they can get out of it. Since, let me let, let me just, this is blowing my mind. So 2017, so many his deal. It was coming off of a couple, he had the the quote unquote MVP year, whatever. Heard his leg. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. But 2017, so since then, the Raiders have gone six and nine, four and 12, seven and nine, eight and eight. You know, I don't believe wins are a quarterback stat. Here is where their defense ranked. Every single one of those years, DVOA. 2017, 30th. 2018, Mm -hmm. 31st, 2019, Mm -hmm. 31st, 2020, all the way up to 28th. Congratulations, Raiders. (laughs) I I mean, so it's an interesting question, Bill, because clearly Derek Carr is not the problem, but I also think no one believes he's like a top 10 quarterback.
1: That's the weird thing, right? Like I was reading something. I tweeted out something obnoxious (laughs) the other day about Derek Carr. Where I know, like someone tweeted something that was like, Oh, like like the play in stats for the uh, for the like the play in tournament didn't count in the NBA. They weren't playoff stats. They weren't regular season stats. So I quote tweeted and said, "Wow, it's like Derek Carr stats because Derek <laughs> Carr is someone where like he puts up solid numbers every year, but nobody seems to treat them seriously, even though he does it year after year." And so I think the tough part for me with Derek Carr is, like to your point, like he's good, he's not good enough that you feel confident about him, but he's not terrible enough that you feel like, oh, we have to replace this guy. The Raiders could probably use the money they would save on Derek Carr to upgrade their defense and add a rookie quarterback who might not be all that much worse. But then like, is that really addressing the problem with your football team if you're going to trade like a bunch of first round picks to get someone like a Trey Lance in the draft? Like I think it's just Mm. they're they're not good enough to make a dramatic move, or sorry, not bad enough to make a dramatic move, but not good enough to really be competitive. And I think that's sort of the place they've been over the past couple of years.
0: I also, I, I would object to that because I think that the rookie quarterback could be a lot worse <laughs> Derek Carr. Sure, uh, li- Likely would be a lot worse, frankly. Like, you know, Derek Carr has been better than most of the quarterbacks drafted over the last few years. Significantly better than many of them. Uh, Now, if the Raiders landed on, you know, like a Justin Herbert, yeah, totally different. It would be totally worth Mm. it. But odds are they wouldn't. And, I mean, this isn't answering the guy's question, which, or maybe Gal, which was about the extension, (laughs) but, like, it's so obvious that over these last four years the Raiders have misallocated resources. And, you know, obviously the defense has been the problem year after year after year Mm -hmm. after year. But to your point, that doesn't mean Derek Carr is the guy. I tend to think, Bill, that they're better off sticking with him and trying to fix the other parts of their football team that are clearly broken. I say that also believing that I don't think they can based on what they've done. Um to the actual question about the extension, I suspect while yes, you get a rookie cheaper, I don't think Derek Carr is gonna cost you that much at this point. Like hmm. and maybe that's where I'm wrong. Like, tell me what you think. Like, if Derek Carr was to hit the free market, how much could he command?
1: I think here's the tough part. Because I think he it would cost the Raiders more to re sign Derek Carr than he would cost on the open market because mm. if I was going to guess what he would get on the open market, I would guess one year and like 16 million or a team. Like, like let's like say like the giants don't have Daniel Jones play well this year. I could see the giants and Dave Gettleman giving dark car 16 million for one year. Maybe they had some voidable years or whatever, but that's basically what they would pay him. Um, but the Raiders, that would be a significant pay cut if they were going to offer him that on an extension, and he wouldn't take that from the Raiders. He might take it yeah. from somebody else because that would be the difference. He wouldn't have that baseline of I was making eh, somewhere around twenty-five million or so. Yeah can i Can I give you my theory for what's going to happen?
0: Oh God. Okay.
1: <laughs> it does not involve the Seahawks. It does not involve the Brooklyn Nets. So there were there were hypothetical
0: favorite. Derek Carr Seahawks trades floating during the great mm-hmm. Russell Wilson wants out controversy of April. But yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mark- so, Anyways. I kind of feel like John Gruden just admires Sean McVay from afar, <laughs> and whatever Sean McVay does, Gruden's going to do a year later. It's so, like if Matthew Stafford. Breaks out this year and has like an awesome season with the Rams, and they're just chucking the ball deep and they're hitting big plays every week. I think Gruden's going to be really jealous, and that's going to be his cue to move on from uh, Derek Carr. And maybe that's to Aaron Rodgers if a trade happens next year. Maybe it's on a lesser level, someone like a Jameis Winston. Um, but I do think that would be the moment where he would say, Okay, I'm sick of this guy checking the ball down. Like Derek Carr can throw deep, but it's not throw deep very often. Like we need to get a different kind of quarterback in here. But If Stafford doesn't really do that, maybe they'll stick with Carr. I don't know.
0: There are just so few quarterbacks in the NFL that are actually upgrades over Derek Carr. Like that's that's the issue. It's like the curse of the B to B plus quarterback, right? Like, Mm -hmm. are you actually going to get a guy who's an A minus and above? Probably not. Maybe, maybe you will. Um, You know, we talked about this yet last week. Derek Carr did get better last year. He did throw it deep more often, but even So it's still something he should clearly do more, especially because he can and he does it really well. I feel like I don't even want to get into that. It's like such a broken record. Um, I guess, you know, Darren Waller is his number one target. It um, mm-hmm. is his, his best, you know, pass catching option. And I think this year, like you got it. Obviously, you're going to see what you have in rugs. They lost Nelson Aguilar. Um I don't know. It, to me, if Derek Carr performs at the same level this year that he did last year, a contract, the likes of which our questioner posits, four years, 100 million, probably realistically, you know, something that's like actually two years, 50-ish, I could see them doing it. Um, and I wouldn't be like a agh- aghast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what happens with the defense. Like, if you fix the defense right, and the defense yes. is like top 15, then I think, okay, you say, okay, we can be a playoff team. They probably are a playoff team if they fix the defense to that level. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Derek Hart next year, $19.8 million unguaranteed. That's a lot of money you could use for somebody else.
0: But who? But who? But yeah. I I think like you said yeah it, it depends where the raver like the, if the Raiders end up essentially 500 which is no longer possible which is upsetting I hate it. Um I hate it so much. Um then I think you're still in that weird treadmill of mediocrity place and I so this is a very important year for them to figure out not just where Derek Carr is who he is but more so where their football team is. Um can next Can I question. ask you
1: Okay. Wait, can I ask you another question really quickly? Yeah. What is the worst Aesthetic record in the seventeen-game <laughs> era.
0: Oh, I wrote this down somewhere um because I felt very strongly about it. I think eight and nine is pretty rough. um Pretty gross. Yeah. Six and eleven is pretty disgusting.
1: I really don't like four and thirteen.
0: Wait, not six and eleven. Personally. Six and twelve. Six and no. Six and eleven. Oh, six and eleven. <laughs> oh, right. yeah. Four and thirteen. See? Great. Yeah. I agree. But all right. Fifteen. And two is sick and
1: impossible. Fifteen and two kind of kind of feels better than seventeen and zero to me.
0: Fifteen and two is better than fifteen and one, even though it's not actually a better record. That's I
1: agree wholeheartedly. All right,
0: look, I, I got to think about that more. Um, All right, sh- shifting gears dramatically. Sam teats thirty three. It's T E E T S. So if I didn't get tricked into saying something bad. Asks if you had to form. Everyone always thinks I'm. It happened once. <laughs> If you had to form an expansion team, what's a team name and which current backup quarterback are you selecting to run the show? Um, I'll let you go first. I have I wrote down mine. Okay. I feel really good about mine.
1: Let's see. But I'm there's no way I can live up to the I live up to your team name. So I feel like it's probably better for me to go first because otherwise it's going to yeah. seem like a disappointment compared to yours. I'm going to go either the London Rogues. I think Rogues is a great name. Or the London footy McFooty faces.
0: Wait, what would the rogue mascot or logo look like?
1: It's gotta be like, it's kind of like Buccaneers-esque, like sort of like like, you know, but like maybe more shadowy, like a, a, a like a you know, like uh, with Sherlock the, like, Holmes but yeah, with, yeah, a with a helmet
0: with like a monocle and a derby or something.
1: Yes, but definitely with a helmet involved. It would not be that famous Ravens Photoshop of the Queen. <laughs>
0: I feel like that Photoshop is just famous with you and me. And I always tweet about it (laughs) and it doesn't get that great engagement, but I'll never stop tweeting about it because it's still the funniest thing an NFL Twitter account has for the, so uh, the Ravens had an app before they went to London where, if you don't know about this, I'm so sorry you missed this where you could Photoshop the Ravens logo onto your own face. And they tweeted it with the Ravens logo Photoshopped onto the queen's face. And then they deleted it because it was hilarious. Um, okay, so I think Mexico City is a better place to have an NFL team because of okay, time zones that's fair. and it's there's a lot of. I've urban been in Mexico City, but there's tons of NFL fans. It happens, sure. So the I did a little research, and the national dog of Mexico is I can't say the full name, but the abbreviated name is Xolo. It's X O L O. Okay. It has a lot of Z's in the full name, and it's like a hairless. Dog that is kind of. I, I encourage you to Google it. It kind of looks like I don't even know, like a Doberman sort of, but with no hair. And anyways, it's weirdly cute. It's like a you know what? How I would describe it. It's like if if you took a Chihuahua and made it big and buff. That's what it looks like. <laughs> so
2: anyway, so
1: the Mexico City Jack Chihuahuas.
0: Yeah. Oh, you didn't choose your quarterback. I'll,
1: I'll you give you your team name okay. and quarterback. So, so quarterback. I'm
0: the Mexico City Cholos, Xolos. X-O-L-O-S. Okay. I feel like it's a cool name. Easy to say. Love dogs. And which current backup quarterback are you selecting? I am going with one Gardner Minshew, and I am selling out oh. that stadium every week.
1: See? We have the same quarterback. Same taste in backup quarterbacks. I also chose Gardner Minshew. Let me ask you, as we record this, there was talk top- yeah. St- he would fit perfectly as a rogue. Yeah, he works fit perfectly, perfectly as a cholo. If pretty much any nickname you have, Gardner Minshew is going to work. Now, Gardner Minshew has two years left on his contract. He is very cheap and a pretty okay quarterback. He's not a superstar, yeah. but he's, I think, the best backup quarterback in football. How much would you be willing to trade for him if you're a team that needed a backup quarterback? <sighs>
0: Um, I would. It depends on the team and how badly you need one. A team like, um, the Jets, I think, need one that I just jumped into my yes. mind recently. Um, I wouldn't trade or like loud, Tennessee, Tennessee,
1: well, they, Tennessee, where it's Tennessee, Logan Woodside.
0: Yes. Yeah, uh, maybe like a fourth.
1: I think that's fair. I think I I think I'd be willing to go to a three, but I would I would absolutely trade a fourth because like if if Ryan Tannehill like, gets hurt. Tennessee season's over. Like I it's said just last year, time and they all got out. mad
0: at me. They were like, "Cole McDonald is the truth," and then now he's not anymore. <laughs> um, Mariota is also, I think, would be the second choice behind Minshew. But again, I'm launching an NFL team. I need butts and seats. <laughs> it's Minshew <Minchie laughs> time, it's not Mariota time. Um, although Mariota had that one like good game last year when he played at, uh, and then but also. Yeah, it was also shocking when they cut to him on the sideline. You saw he had gray hair. And I it was just upsetting that Marcus Marietta. It gone. was
1: like when Jason Witten shaved his head Ugh. for that one season with the Raiders.
0: <laughs> and then all of his hair came back. Uh, young Gibraltar. Okay, so back to a more serious football question. Um actually I, I do really want your thoughts on this one. Young Gibraltar, Gibraltar asks, is <laughs> shut up. Is the secret to Wentz returning to ideal form taking off the camo half sleeve? He's kidding. What is Indy doing? Not signing a wide receiver. That's the real question. So at the moment, Bill, Indianapolis's uh, group of pass catchers include, well, yeah, I would say skill players because you could throw Hines in there, but T. Y. Hilton, who mm-hmm. came back on a one-year, ten million-dollar deal, and then Michael Pittman Jr., who they drafted thirty-fourth last year, yeah, Zach Pascal, Paris Campbell, and then Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox. Um, do you think that they erred in not aggressively? I think they were in the mix, the Galladay mix, maybe, but they never, you know, offered. There was never like a big report of mm-hmm. them going after it. And I forget Galladay, any of the big wide receivers. Do you think that was a mistake? Mm-hmm.
1: Can I please answer the first half of the question, please? Because <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I will tell you what I want to happen with the half sleeve. Okay, I would like to see a ceremony where Carson Wentz formally retires the half sleeve, and just like the sisterhood of the traveling pants, hands it to the new owner of the camel half sleeve, who is our friend Dan Arlovsky.
0: Oh gosh. And he wears I, it. I was, I was thinking the, the it's the opposite of the traveling pants because the half sleeve curses you and that uh, Wentz should leave it in Philadelphia to try to curse
1: He <laughs> Should he put it on the Nick Foles statue when it goes up?
0: Oh man. <laughs>
1: I, wish um, I hope it mean. doesn't curse. I don't want it to be a curse. I want it to be a boon, but clearly it's not. Clearly not. not. Yeah, sentence.
0: it's not a boon.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I feel like they're in between a rock and a hard place at wide receiver because I think on paper they're sitting here saying, okay, Michael Pittman's going to take a step forward in year two, which I believe they're saying Paris Campbell can't possibly be as injured as he was last year, but of course he was injured for pretty much the entirety of his first two NFL seasons. They bring back T.Y. Hilton on a one year deal. Who they, I mean, we know Chris Ballard loves continuity. We know he loves having guys who have been there in the locker room who they trust. I I, I think they can still add somebody, but I don't think they should have been in the market for the Galladay types. Like, I think they should have been in the market for Juju. I think they should have been in the market for Will Fuller. I think I would have had rather have had those guys than T.Y. Hilton. But I think hmm. even if they're going to resign, um Darius leonard and quentin nelson in the weeks to come which i think they're going to they could still add somebody they're still going to have the cap space to add a guy and i think it wouldn't shock me if let's say the jets cut jameson crowder it wouldn't shock me mm-hmm. if he ended up in indy or if the giants want to trade sterling Shepard. i wouldn't be surprised if the Colts send a late round pick to the giants and if the giants ate some money traded for sterling Shepard. I-, I think they're going to be in the market to maybe add one guy in veteran free agency in August and September, um, but I think if they were going to re-sign Hilton, I feel like they want to run it back one more time and see if, what they can actually do with these three guys all on the football field at the same time.
0: So you mentioned Nelson and Leonard. The you know upshot of the Colts having some good drafts in recent years is now they got to sign these guys. Braden Smith is also a 2022 free agent, and mm-hmm. um. This came up, you know. I when we started throwing out we on various shows, started throwing out teams for Julio Jones. I said both the Titans and the Colts should be in the mix because they both need wide receivers, mm-hmm. and they also both can win that division because it's not a good yes. division; it's very winnable. Um, you know, I got some pushback because of the aforementioned contracts, but the Colts have so much money, and mm-hmm. Julio's deal is not that expensive now it is possible that Julio would want an extension and that complicates the picture, but as is, you know, Julio's like $10 million, $11 million after next year and the following, like, it's mm-hmm. not a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a very unChris Chris Ballard thing to do. So I don't think they're going to do it, but if you actually want to rehabilitate Wentz's career, and you think your team can compete now and win the division, I feel like they should at least consider it.
1: Yeah, I think they have to consider it. But remember, they're sending possibly a one or a two oh, to the yes. Eagles next year. So for that's that
0: that also is complicated. Because when we were doing the trade, I was like, I don't know what it's gonna I don't even know how that works. <laughs> it's like, can you trade a hypothetical pick? And I guess you can.
1: Right. And they could trade a 2023 20, pick, but do you really want to have now you've given up your 2020 first rounder for DeForest Buckner. You're now trading your 2022 one or two for Wentz or for Wentz now, 2023, you're giving up a one or two for Julio Jones. Like it's tough. I mean, I think yeah. if you think Julio Jones is a absolute lock of a superstar, like you make the trade, but so I don't um, know that they think like he's that guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, apparently a lot of teams don't um, Michael Pittman. Fun fact, not fun fact. Uh, most, Penalties of any wide receiver in the NFL last year, despite not... I I randomly was looking at this. It's Pittman and then Tyreek Hill and DeAndre Hopkins. I did not expect to see Pittman there because he wasn't, like, a huge vertical threat. Now, some of that is Phil Rivers, you know, but uh, I think they want him to be this, like, the true X, number one, outside guy. He's got the size and speed. He just wasn't quite that guy last year. Now, again, he was productive in you know, not, he didn't play every game, but I thought that was kind of weird. It is strange.
1: I will say, I really hope that there is at least one reporter embedded with Philip Rivers for the first Sunday of the NFL season. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know, like, if he just starts yelling at people randomly, like at the deli, Um, like I need to know if he has withdrawal symptoms for week one.
0: Somebody posted a video of him coaching kids and uh, it was everything. I think our friend Will Brinson posted it, maybe. Sounds Mm -hmm. like something he would do. And it was just everything I would want. I was like, this is the hard knocks. I forget NFL teams. I just want to watch Philip Rivers coaching youth football. Mm -hmm. Um, 100%. Terrence Lau asks, what kind of football player would James Harden be? I'll let you take Mm -hmm. this as a, you're more unbiased than me.
1: I knew this was coming. And I don't want to be critical because I know how near and dear to your heart Your beloved Brooklyn Nets are. Here's my comp. And I like this one. I feel like this one's pretty accurate. Oh, boy. I'm going to say... It's not mean. It's positive. I'm going to say Steelers-era Le'Veon Bell. What? And I think here's why. Because Le'Veon Bell is... Like, he was famous for being so patient and, and sort of making it look... Like easy, like he was almost lethargic at times with how he ran. He was patient, he was waiting for that hole to open up. He played a different style from so many other running backs, where it's you know, you got to hit the hole as fast as possible. James Harden, that's not his game. Um, Leon Bell was versatile, he was able to exploit these simple things like just running outside zone effectively, running counter effectively, hitting, uh, you know, winning those ISO matchups one on one against linebackers and, and over match players into big plays. And I think with James Harden, you know, he's just hitting, uh, he's exploiting that sort of trick of being able to get tons of free throws by getting getting in the paint. Um, He has his big plays from threes, but I feel like he is sort of like, you know, like LeBron is LeBron. You have all these players who are so exciting and so explosive. And James Harden, not really explosive isn't the word I would use. You just... He gets it done in a totally different way, but it works for him.
0: That was so much more thoughtful than anything I was <laughs> going to say, That now I don't want to say anything. Um, I wrote down Torrey Smith, the king of pass interference. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. But, but it's perfect, except it's not, because Harden's not like a speedster. It's just different sport. But I was thinking in terms of like effect on defenses um, in the game. Yeah. Um, I love how much Torrey Smith, who's who seems by all accounts to be a lovely human being, uh, he really owns it now on Twitter. Like if you make jokes about it, which I really enjoy. Um, James Harden is six foot five, so he's kind of built like a he's like a blocking tight end, I would say. Um, who also draws line in, pass your beards. Um, okay. Listener 06. I, th- th- this is a good question. What do you think the Niners defense with D'Amico Ryans will be like? And also, have they addressed the secondary? So, Bill, I just want to start off by asking you: Did it blow your mind when the Niners announced that D'Amico Ryan is defensive coordinator, and you realized, "Holy shit, I'm old"? Ah, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, it's been a rough few months for me. Um, Patrick Sertan Jr. entered the N- NFL. Asante Samuel Jr. that hurt. entered the NFL. Like, it's that not that even like hurt. someone I, not even someone I grew up watching. Like, I wrote about Asante Samuel for years. As a as a professional writer, a so to make Ryan's becoming DC, like it hurt, but it's just one of the many ways that I was uh, upset and cranky about getting old this offseason. So that hurt, but I mean, when it comes to him as a defensive coordinator, like my attitude toward coaches is nobody knows mm. what makes a good head coach, and I think that's also true for the coordinators. I mean, Robert Solow is not a guy who. When he joined the Niners, was seen as like a hot prospect. I mean, he was with Jacksonville uh, on a, you know, coaching on a pretty bad defense behind Gus Bradley. I mean, he has made huge strides over his time with the Niners, and was a great defensive coordinator by the time he left. So I think with Miko Ryan's, it's not a satisfying answer, but I think especially yeah. early on, so much is going to come down to whether the guys he has stay healthy. Um, we saw Robert Sala do a good job of, you know, making hay with the players he had, but Mm. obviously the defense was better when he had a full complement of players to work with.
0: So I think it is notable for, I agree with everything you said. I also think it's notable that, um, they kept Chris Kosurik, Kosurik, Mm -hmm. the defensive line coach who appears to have done an excellent job and by all accounts is a a major key, I think, to the success Mm -hmm. of that unit. I mean, this is a unit in San Francisco, that's gotten really great uh, play out of unexpected pass rushers, right? Like Carrie Hyder, yeah, sure. who's now a Seahawk. So I also think that's important because to the question about the secondary, so the Niners basically brought back everyone but Richard Sherman, right? It, except mm-hmm. for Akilah Weatherspoon, who also went to Seattle. Um, so you've got, um, you know, all, all the DBs came back, including some injury prone ones, which we can talk about in a second. But to me, the success of that group is going to largely depend on what it's depended on over the last few years, which is the pass rush. So it's almost like Nick Bosa coming back, I think is as important to this secondary, this which is a bit of a fragile group as any of the individual players.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say anything. I want to just let Jason Verrett play well in obscurity i don't want to call any attention to him because i was so excited to see him play last year but like they're counting on him to be a starter and Uh i i I don't think i think the best case scenario is he stays healthy and bose is healthy and the, the front four is back to what it looks like or close to what it looked like in 2019 and they're awesome on defense but like i just can't if i was a niners fan i would be very scared to count on Jason it to be healthy for 17 games, not even yeah. 16 games, 17 games in 2021. And to me, I mean, I just, I think it makes total sense for them to bring Richard Sherman back on so many levels. And maybe they just don't want to do that. Maybe they want to go in a different direction, but I would feel so much better as a Niners fan. If I saw that Sherman signed back with that team on a one year deal.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting one that that he really sounded like he was gone. You know, after the season, like the way he was talking about it, but still out there. Um, there are other teams, like Seattle, uh, the Jets. Mm-hmm. You know, that also makes sense for him. Um, but as far as like Varett, yeah. Th- also, like uh, Jakuski Tart has had injuries in the past. Yes, um, Jimmy
1: Ward has Jimmy been injured. Ward
0: much. has been injured. Like all these guys are good players, but it's like I said, it's a very fragile group. They also brought back Kwan Williams, who's a very good nickel. That, by the way, is another interesting thing. So Williams and Verrett are both on one-year deals. Uh mm-hmm. and yet they they waited until the third round to take a cornerback, um Ambry Thomas out of Michigan. I don't have strong opinions about him. Um my mm-hmm. buddy Alex Sherman who's a big Niners fan told me that the signing suggests that they're going to use more press coverage. There's been reports of that and he's kind of like a press guy, but I do think like okay, you got these guys on one year deals and they're injury prone. Like I, I, I'm almost surprised they didn't draft higher at that position, uh, given the looming needs. I mean, maybe they really like Thomas and they think, you know, he's a, he's a gem, but it is definitely like, if you had to pick one part of this roster that could break, that is the part.
1: Yes. And I mean, I, I would assume they'll address it. Maybe it'll be Steven Nelson, instead of Sherman.
0: Oh, yeah. He's still sure out there. Yeah.
1: Sure would be easier to address if you weren't paying Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million, but that's another conversation for another.
0: <sighs> okay. Well, speaking of breaks, I said <laughs> that earlier before you talked, I, right? so it's not a really good segue. But whatever. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and answer some more of your questions, including talking about the Broncos and the Ravens.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do. You do. We all do designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This
0: podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8 SAVE. That's the number 8 S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8 SAVE. That's number 8 S A V E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Bill. We are back. Joro NFL. Joe Rowe NFL. I believe he covers the Broncos. He asks, with the Broncos current quarterback room, what looks like the best case scenario for 2021? And how likely is it? Well, sir, the best case scenario is trading for Aaron Rodgers. Yes. How likely is it? I do not know.
1: <laughs> if you happen to know, I think there is uh, a television show that would love to yeah. find out when it's going to happen. Yeah. Leaving the Rogers possibility aside, this seems really easy to me. Like, it's much better for the Broncos if Drew Lock breaks out and has a big season than Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, just because number one, Drew Lock is signed for multiple years. Teddy Bridgewater, I believe, when he restructured, ended up on a one-year contract. Mm. Um, and I think on top of that, like we, the, the two people taping this podcast, are both part of. The Teddy Hive, like we both love Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's better than people are giving him credit for right now. But I do think that we've seen his ceiling might not be all that high. Like his floor would be pretty solid. But it's tough to imagine him playing at an MVP level for an extended period of time. I don't think Drew Locke has that in him, but we have a much bigger sample with Teddy Bridgewater Mm. where I feel pretty confident kind of projecting what his, his ceiling and his floor is. With Drew Locke, we have a smaller sample. We just don't have as much information and I don't think it's about to happen, but I would be more surprised if Teddy Bridgewater had an MVP caliber season than I would be if Drew Locke had one.
0: Interesting. Um, it's tricky because, like you said, yeah, the Teddy, we kind of know who he is at this point. Um, but last week when I was talking about him, I was like, there were two games, uh, with the Saints where he looked really good. And one of them was the Bucks and one of them was the Bears, where like he really averaged 10 air yards per attempt in these two games. Mm-hmm. But we saw him all of last season, you know, and Teddy's Teddy. Um, our mutual friend Greg Rosenthal was defending him to me in text and said that, um, if you take out red zone and I think like third down, <laughs> his stats were really good or something very specific. Um, but, the, I think what's tricky about this is you're, you're right. Like the whole, the best case scenario for the Broncos is that drew lock takes another step forward. Right. I think w- what's complicated is because the Broncos defense is so good, I believe will be that's a projection. It is almost like, would you rather have the safe quarterback who can take care of the football and where it's more complementary with the defense, right. And who can benefit from the great skill players uh that denver has to get the ball in their hands or do you want the higher variance quarterback because you're in the afc west and you're not going to win by playing safe it's a complicated question i agree with you though like the best case scenario is that drew lock is good i just think it he did play a whole season pretty much and he also played four years of college so like it's not like i like we've got more of a sample size on drew than we do on like Tua you know, like mm-hmm. in the NFL. And if I was a Denver fan, I wouldn't feel great about what I saw last year.
1: No, I mean, I I don't think it's likely for either. Um, this does feel like it would be a great landing spot for Derek Carr though, huh?
0: Let me, yeah, let's do that. With Derek Carr, how good is this team? I mean, they're not going to trade, you know, it's division, same division and stuff. I just want to, as a thought experiment.
1: I, I, I think they're 11 and six.
0: Definitely if I
1: had play to like I feel like it's a playoff team. I feel like it's a a top ten, you know, maybe definitely top twelve, maybe top ten roster outside of quarterback, which is kind of like when you do quarterback stats without the red zone or third down. Like those are important for a reason. Uh, but like this is a team that is crying out for competent quarterback play, and I think there are so many players in this team who have shown flashes or who look really good for long stretches of time. Where it's just like they could be really impressive. They just had a quarterback they could rely upon, and maybe that's Teddy. And I think that that would not be out of the question. I think like the the you know the floor obviously, like, like the average season, you'd rather have Teddy playing Teddy football than Drew Lock playing Drew Lock football. But I think the ceiling, uh, the question there is Drew Lock.
0: I'm gonna read you a quote from Jerry Judy talking about the two quarterbacks. Who is it? Somebody said, I don't give a shit when asked about the quarterback competition. It was a defensive player on Denver, which is just delightful. But, uh, Jerry Judy does give a shit because he's catching passes from these guys. So he was asked about it and he said, um, both of the guys have a different type of spiral and air to the ball. Drew has more of a heart spiral and Teddy is more of a floater. You have to adjust to the certain way they throw the ball. You have to focus on each person and catching the ball when it comes out of their hands. um, I, uh, that is, they truly are the two types of humans. Um, Jerry Judy had all those, like some of those kind of weird drops last year. Maybe he wants the floater. Maybe he wants that catchable Teddy ball.
1: Mm -hmm. I, this is the time of year where like every, every reporter's going to OTAs and like every quarterback who hasn't played for a team players are being like, wow, he throws a great ball. So to have, them come out and be like, "Yeah, Teddy throws kind of a floater. It's probably not a good sign."
0: Um, this great chart by this uh, Sam Hoppen is his name, yes. and he's a listener, and he made this awesome chart, uh, and it has all of the different quarterbacks using uh, Sports Info Solutions data, their accuracy to various levels of the field. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, it's pretty dramatic. So deep, he's orange, which is bad. Forty nine percent. So that's in the bottom. I think he's got it by thirds intermediate rises to 72% yellow short accuracy, 91%, which is the best of any quarterback in the NFL. So, um, some of that is a a function of the Panthers offense under Joe Brady. A lot of it is Teddy ball. He said,
1: okay. If you were Chris Ballard and you saw that chart and you saw the Carson Wentz line, how would you feel? (laughs) Um, it's it's like shades of red that I didn't know were on <laughs> computers. At times.
0: He okay. In I, I would see the Carson Wentz has one green spot, which is his scrambling. So <laughs> I get mm. I get Carson Wentz on the move. Um, man, it is, it's a rough look for Carson, but uh, yeah, it's who you know. The, the uh, other interesting thing about this chart is Kirk Cousins has like all greens, like in the same. We were talking about Derek Carr being like the. It's the B plus court, like Kirk Cousins is the ultimate always looks amazing. Statistically quarterback. Yes.
1: Rick Spielman may have commissioned this chart. Kirk Cousins more.
0: is lo- like the, uh, like when people want to kill us on analytics and like, tell us to, you know, stuff our pocket prote- protect, or I don't know. What do people say to nerds? Give us wedgies, stuff them in a locker, watch Just the yeah, tape, watch the tape. Uh, Kurt Cousins is the ultimate, like, Your numbers lie, guy. Um, Okay. (laughs) Dr. Bob Caldwell, shouldn't your work be done before you get on an airplane so you don't bother people around you by working on your laptop? This is because I once again reiterated my stance that reclining on planes between the hours of 9 and 9 so 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on flights of under five hours is not cool didn't say I'm not like saying you should go to prison I'm just saying what I believe because some people want to get on airplanes and work and it's impossible to work if your the person in front of you is reclining because you can't have your laptop out and and I said this on around the horn I can't believe they let me or they put it on their Twitter account when everyone reclines the person behind you has to recline and it creates a horrible human centipede effect where the person at the end has to eat you know what Bill, do you agree or disagree?
1: Uh, I'm just going to say that I blocked this person, and I went back and looked why I had him blocked, and it was because he told me to stick to football. So uh, I'm not—I don't feel like I'm upset to say he's an idiot to suggest that you should have your work done before you get on an airplane. Um, no, people should not be reclining. It sucks. Like, I, I technically yes. Like, I I understand that your space is technically the space you can recline into, but that still sucks and people should be more empathetic. And at the very least you should not recline your seat back at full speed without seeing what's behind you. And if the person behind you is maybe working on a laptop, because that is not a friendly thing to do.
0: Also tall people think of the talls with their lanky knees. Um, Mm -hmm. J E Austin, this is a good question. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Greg Roman said Lamar might be under center more this season. That's not what I put mm-hmm. it, but. So he says, as a Ravens fan, Greg Roman said Lamar should be under center. Does that make sense? Uh, I think this is really interesting, Bill, because Lamar was under center, I believe, the least of any quarterback. Since he's come into mm-hmm. the league, he's been the least of any quarterback in the NFL. Um, so because I was trying to grab. Uh, like splits and see how he performed and they're just meaningless because it's so little. So that's not an exercise you should do. Um, I think part of the case for it is that um, play action works better. Under center, the Ravens use a lot of play action, but it would open up a different part of that. I actually was looking for stats on play action under center versus a shotgun and Ben Baldwin had done the work. I think the, the he did 2010 through 2017 or something. Anyways, I found it on Football mm-hmm. Outsiders. Um, first down under center play action, 8.3 yards per play. First down shotgun play action, 7.8. So pretty meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see why. But are, do you feel like that makes sense for the Ravens given Lamar's skill set and some of the issues with the offense? I hate it. Ooh,
1: I absolutely hate it. Yeah. Here's why.
0: Yes.
1: What were what in 2018 and 20 2019 when he was MVP? What were we all saying about Greg Roman and the Ravens and how smart they were? We were saying, oh man, you gotta fit the offense to your quarterback strengths. And the Ravens have done that with Lamar Jackson. So you're now taking a guy who not just at the NFL level, Mina, but I went back to the college level and looked at his college stats. Oh. He dropped back 36 times under center in three years at Louisville.
0: It's funny because they were always saying like, we're going to use under center more in Louisville. (laughs) And they didn't apparently.
1: Right. And you know why? Because he's really good in the pistol and the shotgun. Like, yes, I understand that play action works better under center. I know the Shanahan style offenses want to be under center. And I think you can make it work. But like this is the exact opposite of what we said all the you know for the last couple of years about the Ravens, where it's not building an offense to your quarterback strengths. You're now building an offense yeah. where your quarterback is being asked to do something he has not done at any level. Like Lamar might be able to do it because he's super talented. And I think like if you want to go to play action, you know, if you want to mix it in, maybe one more time per game or have him under center one more time per game. No, that's not going to be the end of the world. But if a significant portion. Of their offense, if it's 10% more or 20% more than it was under center, that is a negative for me. Like, I think the benefits of, you know, getting play action and getting that sort of cheat code of play action under center is going to be more than countered by Lamar going to a place where he's not comfortable.
0: Especially because your RPO game from the gun should be so effective because of what you're able to do running the football out of the gun. With Lamar and the other right. backs and like you spent, right. you know, the this freaking first round pick on Jakey Dobbins last year. Um Right. And on top of that, like
1: to me, it's not as if the Ravens had a super complex, super interesting, super varied passing attack last year, throwing downfield out of the pistol. Like yeah. they have had a very rudimentary like downfield passing game. And to me, that's not Lamar. To me, that's the sort of the They haven't really given him any answers. Like A lot of their passing attack is just Verts downfield and then um, the deep over route where you have to clear out because they're expecting so frequently a single high safety. They're thinking, okay, you have to put a safety in the box to stop the running game. We're only going to face single high safety. Well, we're going to run four Verts because that's going to challenge that deep safety in the middle of the field. We're going to give him basically – he's going to have to pick which one of the vertical routes he has to take or – we're going to run that clear out route with a go route and then run the deep over behind it because that's going to clear out that deep safety in the middle of the field. We're going to have a wide open guy running over the middle of the field behind him. And that does happen. It does work. But like, you have to have more than that. Like, They have a very amateurish deep passing attack on paper. And whether it's David Cully, whether it's Greg Roman, I can't say, but I think they can do more to expand that passing attack out of the pistol and out of the shotgun without having to put him under center.
0: Yeah. And if you're Playing more, I think last year they played more quarters and covered two than the year before. There were some for sure defensive adjustments. Like there are passing concepts that you should be able to employ um, to beat that. And, and now you have the wide receivers at your disposal. You know who again should be able to get open or, God forbid, win a contested catch. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I I I tend to agree with you. There, um, you know, I I don't think like the issue is you know, make just the fact that you can like maybe get a few more shot plays off of play action is not enough to completely change your passing attack. And yeah, and I mean, how it's integrated with the run. We have, sorry, mm -hmm.
1: no, I'm sorry, Bobby Petrino has a book like on the pass concepts Lamar Jackson was running at Louisville, and it's a pro style offense, it wasn't like they were running like the same sort of rudimentary stuff the Ravens were running um, for Lamar downfield at the pro level. Like he was running a a much more complex offense at Louisville when it came to the passing game. So I think there is that room to work with there.
0: All right, last question. Jeff, before my questions, Jeff Diamond 612 asks, how convinced are you that Josh Allen is now a great quarterback for life after two weeks season? And one great one what is the chance of a wentz like reversion?
1: Oh boy. This is going to get me in trouble. Right, like there's no there's no satisfying answer here. Like, someone's going to mad no matter what earmuffs. I muffs. App- at I at your most. I mean like
0: I think there's a satisfying a answer. Accept. Oh, oh, okay. Oh. Wait. Say what you're. No, look. Say. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't. No, I, I don't, want. Don't. I want to hear your. Answer. I think a lot of the indicators pointing towards a once reversion were not as present in Josh Allen's breakout year. So that's all I was going to say. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um,
1: is there a guy you can think of who had a season like this? Maybe like a Dante Culpepper? Maybe. No. Or like just an incredible season, and then he was not that guy five oh. years later.
0: Ooh, uh, I thought you meant like this level of improvement. Um a, this level of a breakout and then a reversion. No, because there are like guys who have had like really productive offensive seasons, um but when you, they they were productive for reasons that are like scheme or skill player, not 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 entirely, but I think what makes mm-hmm. Allen so unusual is yes, he had he he already had a good scheme and then he had they added Stefan Diggs but so much of it was just things he did, right? Like, that's what's so unusual about it.
1: Yeah, like, you go through history, like, and you have to adjust for the era and all that stuff. Like, you have, like, Mark Rippon had the fifth best season of all time one year with Washington, and, like, he was not that caliber of quarterback. Um, Like, Ken Anderson had an MVP season. Um, Yeah. But, like, mostly, like, Steve DeBerg had an incredible season for the Chiefs. But, like, it's mostly guys who were great for their entire careers, who had one, you know, even better season. Like Matt, maybe Matt Ryan would be like the way like, but that was much later in his career. So like, it was kind of clear that he had, that was sort of an outlier season. Like, I think it's also fair to say this was the first season in Josh Allen's life. At the college level, at the pro level, he was this caliber of quarterback relative to his competition. Like in high school, maybe. He was great, but like the bigger sample we have says he is an inconsistent quarterback. He's a great athlete who does not do a great job of translating that into quarterback play. Now, if 2020 was totally different, um, I think I would point out you know, that Brian Dable's back there for another year. Yeah. But he had Dable. He had Stephon Diggs for a full season. He had John Brown for half a year. Uh, the interior, like the guards were hurt, but he had Bench Morris for 14 games. He had the tackles for 16 games each. Like There were factors aiding him in that process. And I think if he doesn't have those things, whether it be in 2021 or maybe if Dable gets a job somewhere else in the future, I think that would make it more likely he would decline. But... Like I also think the era where like Josh Allen was a meme, like I don't think that's coming back. Like I think he might regress. Like to me he was the third best quarterback in football last year. It it wouldn't shock me if he was the 7th best quarterback in football this year, but I would be shocked if he was the 24th best quarterback in football right. this year.
0: Yeah, I keeps saying like 70, if Josh Allen is 75% of what he was last year, he's still a really good quarterback. So, yeah. um, and then, you know, I, the Dable thing is so huge, man. Like if, if they had lost him, I think it would be a, I would still think he he's going to be good for the, you know, because of the tools and the, and the way particular mm-hmm. ways in which he evolved mentally. But like also, keeping him is, was so unexpected. So unexpected. It is the equivalent of like having a number one wide receiver signed at a hometown discount or something for another like it, it 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 and you mentioned all of the good things around him and some of the luck. I think like they still they lost John Brown, they added Emmanuel Sanders. I think Gabe Davis is really good um as a number three behind Diggs and Beasley. It, I, the skill group, we'll see if anything happens with Ertz. I have mixed feelings about that. I don't think it's a huge deal. But in any case, to me, like the biggest Issue would be if they suffered an injury along the offensive line, Um, just the depth there. But beyond that, all of the components are in place for him to still succeed. So next year, we're talking about next year. By the way, Matt Breda, a bill. I didn't notice that until I looked at the depth chart. I missed that. He's going to have like
1: (laughs) a 94-yard touchdown run (laughs) at some point. In the first two months of the year
0: be nice if they had a run game in buffalo but um yeah the I, I i still think the bills offense is gonna be really good um okay see bills fans i love you big kiss from me to you unlike at bill barnwell all right as always I'm gonna end with a few questions for our guest as you guys know nfl teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money for example cover years broncos fans Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. (laughs) But uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com Mina for a $3 trial set.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket.
0: I'm getting paid for this, right? Bill, I'm springing this one on you. I should have sent it to you beforehand, but I just thought of it before we started dating. Um, <laughs> On NFL Live, they asked us for like the most improved position groups in the NFL, and we named a few. The one that I ended up talking about was the Chargers offensive line, potentially being most improved group. I was wondering, you don't have to pick the most improved group, but what is a group of players you're excited to watch this year because you think they have a chance of being a lot better?
1: Brown secondary.
0: I don't know if you heard Round. yourself the hum that you did there, but it was so like deep and like loud and like you always do. You do a lot of hums, but that was mm-hmm. the most hum, hum you've ever done.
1: I've been practicing during the off season. I have to, I, I, as a regular guest on uh, the podcast you used to host, ESPN Daily. I feel like that hmm is an important part of answering questions. It's like so. your
0: signature at this point. Um Brown secondary, <laughs> yes. That's a good answer. I brown
1: secondary, yes. I feel like is super high up there. You get Troy Hill and John Johnson from the from the Rams. I mean, two above average, possibly very good players at huge positions of needs. Now you're not relying on Greedy Williams, who has hurt the past couple of years pretty consistently. Um, you get Greg Newsom in the first round of corner, get Grant Delpick back from a torn Achilles, and Denzel Ward to me is still a top 10 cornerback when healthy. So I mean, that's a really, really exciting group to me to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm also excited to watch the Ravens pass catchers, by the way. We were talking about them, and I was just kind of thinking, you know, I've talked a lot about how much I liked Rashad Bateman uh, from the draft. But um, yeah, I just think it'll be interesting to see how they're used in that offense and whether they're used. All right. We talked about who James Harden would be if he was an NFL player. You gave a very thoughtful answer. My question for you is, a lot of people say any the, the Nets are so good that anyone can coach them and anyone could play with them. So which NFL player do you think could be the fifth starter on the Nets and not embarrass himself?
1: Oh, boy. Again, this is a question where if I say the wrong person and an NFL player is listening, they're going to get very mad <laughs> that I did not mention them. Who would be... Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: There's a lot of mm-hmm. you know former basketball players, but I don't want you to think like that. I just want you to think about
1: so we can't pick Miles Garrett because he was just retired from basketball.
0: God, can you imagine just like on a fast break going towards the net and freaking Miles Garrett in a jersey <laughs> so you can see all of his muscles is just lurking there?
1: I'm I'm That's gonna fun. go out of the box. I'm gonna pick Mikai Beckton. <laughs>
0: Like, Did you see it? Oh, my God. There was a picture of Makai Becton, just left tackle, standing next to uh, Ali Veracox, the guard. Yes. And it's shocking because, like, Veracox is an offensive lineman, and he looks small yeah. next to him.
1: Yes. Al- uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is Oh, Elijah six... Vera
0: Tucker. I'm sorry, Ali Because You're getting, you're getting about Moe Ali Cox. Ali Cox. I was thinking about him yeah, playing in the end. Not... I'm sorry. Elijah Ali
1: I Tucker. Olivera Tucker is is six foot, uh, six foot four and 308 pounds. And he looked like a child.
0: It's incredible. I want to stand next to Mackay Becton so badly just for the photo. Yes. I I,
1: just, just for sheer intimidation. I want Mackay Becton in, in the paint.
0: I love him. Oh man. There was a game last year. I think they were playing the Cardinals and the Cardinals were like swag surfing on the field or dancing or something. And he looked so sad. He was looking at them and it looked like kind of like a kid looking at other kids getting to uh, play outside, uh. but it's such a funny photo. Um, Yeah, that's a great one. Okay. I yesterday shared that I'm watching on the internet that I'm watching hacks, which I really enjoy on HBO. don't know if you've seen it. It's about a, uh, Jean uh, smart plays an older comedian in Las Vegas who has a residency and, uh, hires a young female writer to um, kind of freshen up her act. It's very funny. Um, You watch a lot of stuff, so I haven't done this in a while. Can you recommend something for our listeners?
1: The most recent UK season of RuPaul's Drag Race is incredible. There's a moment where someone comes on stage and admits that they were wearing something they bought off the rack at (gasps) H&M. And RuPaul... Gives like this incredible speech, and it's like the most fury I've ever seen from someone on television. Like any (laughs) NFL coach, no, like like no NFL coach has been angrier than RuPaul at this poor person wearing an an H and M dress off the rack.
0: That's incredible. Oh
1: my god, it's it's worth watching for that one moment, but also the entire season incredible.
0: Gruden esque. Um, Okay, I, I know everyone always tells me to watch that. Uh, question four. So, uh, recently AJ Dillon, <laughs> I think you know where this is going. Packers running back yeah. revealed that he named his quad, his famously large quads, quad father and quadzilla. <laughs> so you made a, I thought a very funny joke in response. You said those are, sounds like pizza toppings you ordered during the pandemic. I have a question. I was wondering if you could help me brainstorm names for Saquon's quads so that he can strike back because Quadfather and Quadzilla is pretty good. I would have done Quadfather and Quadfather Part 2 personally, but <laughs> Quadzilla is funny. Now, that's um, your
1: commitment to the bit, which I think is is well earned. Thank you. I mean, is this is this simple? Like shouldn't this just shouldn't he just be Saquad Barkley?
0: One quad is Saquad Barkley?
1: Like like, like just he's just Saquad like he doesn't need. Oh, names he for should each start going
0: by say, quad Oh
1: god. Yeah, like is it is it that simple? Like like I, you already have Quan. Like you're so close. Why not just take it?
0: That's a good point. Take
1: take the easy yards is what I say. Like these are the easy yards for he, Saquon he Barkley. Doesn't always do that though. Battle. He
0: wants to hit the home run. Um, that's true. What if he named one Quad Gurley? <laughs> that would be really weird. Who else is Quad? Name? Chuck Quad. Like the political commentator. That's weird too. I, uh, yeah. Mm.
1: Uh, what if he went in a different direction and called one of his uh, legs Quadam Hussein?
0: That's really strange. That would be
1: really weird. <laughs> oh, is it that much stranger than than Chuck Quad?
0: Yes, it is. What that would, th- th- there'd be a lot of uh, hand wringing about Quadam Hussein in NFL meetings. And I mean, geez, Luis, you thought kneeling was bad. Quadam Hussein. Um, then that would be that would cause major stress and work. You would have That's plenty of stuff to talk about. That's true. Yeah, okay. yeah, that would give us a whole segment. Quaidam Hussein. is he going to lose his endorsements? This is such a weird question. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna end as always with the question from Lenny. Um, so Lenny is not on Twitter. He is not the person who goes by Composite Lenny, but he does look at Twitter. And he just wants to know how you feel about the fact that Sunmin Kimes is accruing followers at a rate that means she's probably going to surpass you this year.
1: I've already had one member of the Kimes family surpass me in followers very quickly. Um, so I, I've already made my emotional peace with that. Um, how would you feel if she passed you at some point?
0: Um so the it, the tricky thing it's always Frankenstein is the doctor and the monster is just called the monster right so i would feel <laughs> yeah, like frankenstein point. watching the monster overtake him uh
1: i don't know who i am in that metaphor like i am a
0: attendant you're, who left you're the igor room igor 5 minutes early <laughs> <I'm> igor <laughs> it's a common crossword clue <laughs> <laughs>